Fiserv helps credit unions create a smarter future in an evolving industry. Discover scalable digital solutions to transform the member experience and improve operational efficiency, compliance, and security. Learn more at Fiserv.com. From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people, credit union ideas. Welcome to the CUNA News Podcast. I'm Assistant Editor Brock Fritz, and in this episode, we will be celebrating our four credit union heroes, Amanda Mertz, Michael Ray, Amanda Swan, and Joanne Todd. Each hero stopped by the podcast to speak with Deputy Editor Bill Merrick and I about how they serve their communities and spread the credit union philosophy. While their passion flows in a similar direction, each of their stories is unique. Safe Credit Union Community Impact Manager Amanda Mertz has seen firsthand the impact small acts of kindness can have. PAHO WHO Federal Credit Union Vice President of Business Development, Michael Ray, believes in in in-depth conversations that show members their options. Numerica Credit Union Vice President of Community Engagement and Philanthropy, Amantha Swan, draws on her life experiences to support children, women, and vulnerable households. And Northeast Family Federal Credit Union President and CEO, Joanne Todd's passion for financial education exists wherever she is, whether that's home in Connecticut or on her yearly trips to Kenya. The heroes will be featured in the spring issue of Credit Union Magazine, for more about our four 2023 heroes, visit news.cuna.org cuhero. Read up on their profiles and hear them tell their own stories before voting for your 2023 Credit Union Hero of the Year at news.cuna.org. Voting is open February 1st through March 17th. But before you vote, let's hear from Amanda Mertz, Community Impact Manager at Safe Credit Union. Congratulations on being named Credit Union Hero for 2023. That's great. Thank you. It's a it's definitely was a surprise and one that was delightful to hear about and it's a little surprising actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, reading your nomination form, it's I don't I didn't find it surprising at all. Can you tell me about your background and your your path to Safe Credit Union? Yeah, absolutely. So, I began my life in philanthropy or giving back to the community way before I started at Safe Credit Union. But as someone who was just doing it because it was what I love to do, I wasn't working for any specific company at the time. I just spent a lot of time devoting myself to the community. And through those actions, I met someone from Safe Credit Union who said that they were looking for someone specifically to do some community impact work. And so those conversations began. And so about eight, nine, about eight or nine years ago, I started at Safe Credit Union doing, doing the work that I'm doing currently. Can you tell me what's involved in your job on a, on a day-to-day basis? So what I love best about my job is that I really don't have a typical day. Every day is different. They all sort of center around finding ways to support the greater Sacramento region and really trying to find ways to strengthen safe relationships with nonprofits, our chambers, other change makers within within our region. One day I may be looking through grant applications. 
maybe talking with our grant committee about what we're looking forward to in the next couple months. And then looking to see who are going to be those recipients. But I also help secure sponsorships. I attend most events that SAFE donates to. And then I oversee our scholarship program. One of my favorite things to do is when you get to go out and provide that big check to the nonprofit. So that's, you know, seeing the smiles and the happiness that comes along with some of those monetary donations is wonderful. But we also try to incorporate as much boots on the ground support as we can. And so sometimes that might come in financial education services or volunteer opportunities with that same organizations, really trying to do the wraparound services that we can do within our our line of work. I'm also on the government relations team at SAFE, and I attend all of the outreach events that credit unions are involved in, like Hike the Hill, the government relations rally, and the government affairs that takes place in Washington, D.C. each year. And you must have some great stories to share with legislators, too. I do. And I do enjoy doing that because, you know, our legislators were were very similar. At the end of the day, we're both trying to do what's best for the communities that we serve and that we represent. And I was reading about Safe Credit Union's three pillars of philanthropy. Could you uh, go over those and share how these pillars guide your community service efforts? Yeah, so typically give out to the community around $400,000, $425,000 a year. And we try to really align those with those three pillars that you mentioned. So those are health, education, and veteran services. We try and do this through our volunteer efforts, through our grants, through our sponsorships. Those are the guiding principles that help us determine where we should be supporting. Those are really based on our needs that we know are current in the community, but also based on the historical presence of SAFE. We were started by the Air Force civilians who were working in the Sacramento region after World War II. And so making sure that we're doing the most we can for our military servicemen and women is really important and valuable to us. But the education piece as well, we know that the start to a strong community and the change of some generational ills really can start with education. And so investing in the areas that we see can build a solid foundation to help people with their future success is very important. But in that education space is also what most credit unions strongly believe in, and that's financial education. So helping out our members in the community. And those aren't just those who might be in financial difficulties. Financial education applies to everyone. You can you can be a doctor and still run into some challenges if you don't have the right tools to, to propel you forward financially. And then the health piece, we know that financial troubles also lead to many components of deteriorating health. There's lots of stresses that go on and those can affect your body and the health manners that can lead to real serious consequences. So health is a third pillar for us, not only in the financial education health space, but also the mental health space, which we've realized in our region has become very apparent and needed to be addressed. Where do your members tend to struggle most in terms of their finances and and what are some of the the biggest needs that that you address for them? 
You know, I think that in general, people have a fear of really taking a hard look at their finances. And so sitting down and mapping out a budget can be very scary to people because even those who really aren't living paycheck to paycheck, right? That's not part of their lifestyle, but they could still be overspending just by the mere fact that they're not following any type of budget. So they themselves can go into that path of credit card difficulties or dipping into their savings. And nationwide, we know that the average American may have less than $400 in their savings account. So that doesn't allow for any emergencies to come into play because that might put them into the hole, which just spirals often into charges and finance fees that they weren't planning for. And it, it, it really does lead to many, many challenges. So I'd say, you know, step one is get into a budget routine. That's what we try and talk to our members. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, otherwise there's that much room for error on a, on a daily basis. So you're you're involved in in so many programs. Are there certain ones that are are nearer and dearer to your heart than others? That's so hard to ask someone whose job is purely based on helping and supporting the nonprofits in the region. But I do, like I said in the beginning, I do like the ones that we're involved in, where we can be in involved in various ways and not just from the monetary give. And so there's a program in Sacramento called St. John's Program for Real Change. It helps women coming out of homeless situations with their children. It's based on workforce development. So there's ways that we can support them just as community members by they have food service. So if you go in and utilize the restaurant that they have trainings in, that's a great way to, to service and work with them. They have a, a cookie box every month that you can order and the women learn how to be bakers and to package and to service in those ways. For a safe credit union, we give to them monetarily, but we also really strive to do as much volunteer work with them as possible and then go in um, quite regularly and work with the women on their own budgeting skills. Most of them now being in the workforce need places to make those deposits. And so helping them opening accounts, maybe they need some second chance banking opportunities. So really working with them in a full service way to wrap around our arms and our services to be as helpful as we can to build them into a life of success. What advice would you offer other credit union leaders about addressing community service needs? Every credit union needs to take a look at their own community first. That That's number one. And then knowing where your pillars are, your focuses are, you can pivot those, change those, massage those to fit what the community needs are. So we sort of discussed that, that that's, you know, how how we work. And I think that that is something that other credit unions, if they're not already doing that, that's a good start. Now let's hear from PAHO WHO Federal Credit Union Vice President of Business Development, Michael Ray. What's your approach to business development with this membership? Well, our membership is 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 aligned with the the healthcare, which is what PAHO does. It researches, is trying to find better ways to improve health care 
among all of his constituents throughout the Americas. And so our Caribbean is aligned with organizations that serve in the healthcare field. When I came over last July, end of June of 2021, I came over as part of a merger. And the reason why PAHO merged our credit union, well, one of the reasons is because the mission aligned with PAHO's mission. That is, even though we serve Georgetown University, we also serve MedStar, Georgetown MedStar Hospital. And so that was one of the reasons why it, it was attractive for PAHO to merge us with them. And so when we go out and look for organizations to become part of PAHO, we're looking for organizations that are serving the health needs of members, of, of constituents. And we're also looking at organizations that are serving the Latino community. And so when we consider a SEG, we want to align ourselves with those organizations that are serving those two entities. You're with, with credit union development on an international basis. Can you tell me about your work in this area? I completed the DE program in 1996. And, you know, I got involved in that program because of my mentor, and I mean my good friend, colleague here in Washington, D.C., Sarah. And so after completing the DE program, World Council asked me, to go on a people-to-people assignment to Trinidad and Tobago. And I was there a week, and I was doing a couple of seminars and workshops for credit unions throughout the country. And so that's where it all started. And then a few years later in 2004, another DE, a good friend of mine, Trish Gates, out in Oregon, recommended me to an organization called ACDI VOCA, which is a nonprofit that does farm-to-farmer programs throughout the world. And she was about to leave her post as a volunteer there to go work in Uzbekistan, and she recommended me to come to Russia. And so I did that for about until 2008. And then in 2015, George Ambato, who is the executive director of Acosca, which is kind of the equivalent of CUNA for all of credit unions in sub-Sahara Africa, invited me to come over and mentor the DE program for Africa DE. And ever since that year, I have been involved in Africa credit union development, you know, attending their, the equivalent of a GAC, they call it the Congress. I've been there as a speaker, I've done breakout sessions for the attendees and so on. And this would not have happened had I not gone through DE. I mean, I I owe everything that I do in terms of development work through that program. And, and you know, I tell people all the time, DE was life-altering for me. Um, you know, I thought I'd gone up to that program in 96 knowing all that I needed to know about credit unions, credit union history and philosophy. But what it did was it it really, really reunited my passion for what I do. And it continues to be at the the core of what I do every single day for for in credit unions. And how has your your work with Credit Unions International shaped you as a credit union leader and as a person? 
And I think it it has the development work has re- made me realize that we we have so much to be thankful for and all that we do for the people that we serve. And it makes me want to do more in my own country, you know. Africans and, and certainly credit union systems around the world think that, you know, everybody here is doing okay. And what I have to remind people in some of the the workshops and seminars that I give is that everything is not okay in America. You know, we have people that you know are hungry that are you know that that are deprived of housing and and all of those things and so it's it's made me realize that how fortunate i am to not only be able to do this work but to come back and 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 also be energized from africa to do more for all of the people that we serve here at at paho and credit unions throughout this country you're working with your, your members on that with some financial literacy efforts, how you assist your members with financial literacy and financial well-being? I just did a, a credit union history and philosophy class with the staff here at PAHO, and it, it was one of the few classes that has been done recently. And, you know, after the class, quite a few of the uh, employees came up to me and said, you know, this is really, really good information for me because I now understand why I do what I do. And it was, it was just, I mean, I, I was overwhelmed to hear this because for them, I was pr- able to provide them with not only the, the, the history of our movement and, you know, the, the philosophy and the mission and all of those things, but I was able to get them to see that you needed to look at the, what is called the development issues that is so much talked about in DE. You know, when you're having those conversations with members and you're, you're hearing things, not, it, not directly, but you're picking up on things like the person may not have food or there, there are issues with health, uh, transportation, certainly environment, access to credit. Those are signs, those are clues where you need to kind of you know, okay, there are resources here that I can help you with. And so this is where we need to be in in our efforts to not only educate our members but our staff to be cognizant of what they're hearing in those conversations and be able to have at, at hand resources that they can refer for our members. And I think it's it's, it's very, very important that we continue to do this, that we we not only provide, like I said, financial education to our members, but we need to do that for our staff continually. One of the things I wanted to share with you is that um, I certainly enjoy doing my job in educating our youth. And, you know, from time to time, certainly not during COVID, but prior to COVID, we used to do financial reality fairs for school-aged kids, mostly high schools. And the last one we did was with the D.C. Police Academy. Yeah, we had about 50, 60 new cadets to go through that program. And I can tell you, these are adults that are working that had no clue, many of them, about finances. And one of the things that I'm most proud of is, you know, I go to 
Bronx, New York every single year to Cardinal Spellman Senior High School and I do an all-day series of classes for the senior class on financial education and I tell you I, I get so much joy out of that because the students are talking about what they've learned but they also talk about what their parents have gone through with credit and in many cases it's not a good story and so to be able to part with the knowledge with these kids is just just fascinating and I think we need to do more of that. I think when I do those types of classes and even when I talk to members you know I use my own experience you know I grew up pretty poor you know it was one of those things where we had no money you know when you got money you spent it when you're in those that situation you know home ownership or wealth accumulation is not something that you think about and it's only when someone like myself or yourself or someone who's in the know about financial education that you tend to look you know to start believing you know there are options here that you know you could you can save to eventually be a homeowner and so this whole idea of living on credit and and the spiral debt is is something that I always talk about when I talk about financial education and and that was the case with many of the Georgetown members the spiral of debt was just just amazing and but you know I tried to work with them and you know there's so much that I can do but you know you just try to keep at it and hopefully that people will someday see the light do you have any other advice to other credit union leaders about improving financial inclusion for consumers? You know, I, I just think we need to have at the core what we do, financial education and helping people to understand their needs versus their wants and those kinds of things. I think we should never lose sight on the operating principles for which we've pretty much pledged to to do. The best credit union leaders take the view that it's not about me, but it's about the financial wellness of the people that we're serving. You know, in all of my credit union career, I I learned that lesson early on, you know, you know, it's really not about me. It really is about our members and what is it that we're doing to make their lives better. We'll be right back after a message from this episode's sponsor. Join your peers from leading credit unions and other leaders from across banking, fintech, and commerce at FORM, the Fiserv Client Conference from June 12th to the 15th in Las Vegas. FORM is a time to step back from the day-to-day and focus on what matters to your members. You'll get three days dedicated to making connections, exploring new innovations, and gaining actionable insights for your credit union. Visit Fiserv.com FORM to learn more and register. Now let's hear from Numerica Credit Union Vice President of Community Engagement and Philanthropy, Amanda Swan. I have been with the credit union for uh, nine and a half years now, so coming up on my decade here with the credit union. Um, I actually came to Numerica in 2013 as a 
community relations coordinator, I believe, and have had the massive honor of being a part of the growth of the credit union and specifically the growth of their community engagement, their corporate philanthropy, and their member support programming. Yeah. So what are some of the moments or ways that the credit union has been able to give back that stick out to you? So there's so many moments, but one of them in particular was right in the thick of the pandemic. So one thing that I was really grateful for was early on the credit union reaching out to its nonprofit partners out to the community and saying, hey, we're still here for you. We know times are tough and tougher than ever. And we want you to know that amongst all this change and uncertainty, one thing will be certain, and that's Numerica still showing up in the way we do. And what that meant during the holiday season in both 2020 and 2021 was a program that my team helped put together called Home for the Holidays. And we partnered with agencies in each of our four markets who are serving homeless individuals and families. And we made over $225,000 worth of investments to actually identify individuals or family units who were living in emergency shelter or experiencing homelessness. And in the holiday season, we funded the cost of moving them out of those shelters and into homes. And I had the opportunity to go out and actually meet one of the families. And it was a single mother and her and her two kids had been living in a homeless shelter for families for over six months. They were not anticipating being able to spend the holidays in their own home or space. And I'm a mother and we I'm sitting there connecting with this mom and she has a daughter the same exact age as my one of my daughters. And there's just this little girl running around and we're connecting about what they like and what they don't like and realizing that, you know, we're helping people who could be me. And getting to see that come to life and getting to see the sheer relief on that mother's face and know that this is not just life enhancing, this is life changing. And that's something that I'll never forget being a part of at New America. Yeah, that's got to be great when you get to see that personal side of things too. Mm-hmm. So it looks like in your personal life, you're also very involved and serve in a number of organizations. Is that something you've always been interested in and why is it so, so important to you? Yeah, I was raised by a single mother. I've never had a relationship with a biological father. And so I've seen the massive importance that a support network can provide to a family. I was lucky in that, yes, I was raised by a single mother, but I was also supported by grandparents and aunts and uncles who loved me. And I know I'm very grateful for that, but I also know the lack of those supports can manifest in really, really critical and disturbing ways. And so for me, it's about really kind of paying for that gratitude and understanding. So I, my mother was also a survivor of domestic violence. And so I know what those, what that type of trauma looks like for decades, not just in the time. And so I have a lot of empathy and compassion and understanding for 
individuals, but especially women and children who are navigating crisis and overcoming hardship. And so being able to now give back, not just in my role at Numerica, but in my personal life is just something that's really important to me. So for other people that might have your role or be interested in doing something at their credit union, how do you form partnerships or find find your programs to serve? Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that I think Numerica has been on an ongoing journey for a while. And as anybody in the role of philanthropy or charitable giving knows, there's a lot of need out there and there's a lot of different issues. And so creating a focus and a pathway and some true indicators of impact so that you can ensure that those dollars are really driving change in the areas that you want to see change in is something that we've had to develop over the years. You know, when I started at Numerica, we had just hit a billion dollars in assets. Our resources for giving were less than they are today. And yet we were still showing up in a great way. As those resources grew, it gave us the opportunity to have those conversations. Hey, we don't have to continue to increase our event sponsorship portfolio. Is this the opportunity to build out a grant making program? And so now we do have that and we have done the research and the strategic planning to make sure we know as an organization what systemic issues are we truly committed to addressing so that when we go out into our community into that ecosystem and we get to know who is doing what who is partnering with who what our role can be as a funder to make the biggest and most sustainable impact so I always try to say you know that guiding light and then that pathway and really understanding you know, what the ultimate goal is in terms of impact. Okay. And obviously it's a time of year where people start to think about new things. So just curious, is is there anything you're particularly excited about in 2023? Yeah. I mean, there's so much that we're excited about in 2023. I think one of the things coming up that's most immediate on the horizon is our process of our Numerica Charitable Fund, which is our grant-making entity. We're really committed to every year making some minor adjustments and really elevating the experience for the grant applicants. So the nonprofits who are taking time away from providing direct service to put together an application. So leaning into that trust-based philanthropy model, really working with the nonprofits to make sure that that experience for them is easy, and also building a real true partnership with each of these organizations who will receive funds as opposed to, you know, just looking at pen and paper, right? And really just reading applications. We wanna get to know these organizations and the leaders and their program employees who are on the front lines addressing systemic issues that are impacting financially vulnerable youth, families, generational poverty, homelessness. So that's where I'm really excited about just the ongoing learning and awareness that happens in this type of role. Well, great, Amanda. It sounds like you've got a good setup there. And was there anything else you want to add or anything you're passionate about that you want to mention before we hop off? The other thing I would maybe add around other credit union or industry professionals who do this is 
We really pride ourselves in looking at ways that Numerica can be more than charitable and more than a credit union. So mm-hmm. when you combine the two, that's where we believe that the magic really happens. So yes, we can write checks all day long. Yes, we can roll up our sleeves and volunteer. And yeah, as a low income designated credit union who helps our members every single day with their financial challenges, with their financial hopes and dreams, we're also really well positioned to bring that knowledge and those products and services to the table. And there's been some pretty phenomenal outcomes in doing that, in looking at individuals or communities who are navigating crisis and saying, hey, how can we also show up as a financial institution? And that came to fruition a couple months ago in a really neat way where we funded our first Habitat for Humanity mortgage. And so that's a relationship with a nonprofit that you know started with sponsorships and grants. And in building those relationships, we recognize that these can often be difficult to finance mortgages. And we were able to say, but this is cause-based for us. We don't have to just write the check. We can also move this mission forward in another way. And we have the resources, we have the expertise to do it. So I think when you're able to do that as a credit union, there's even more substantial impact and benefit in the long run. Finally, let's hear from Northeast Family Federal Credit Union President and CEO, Joanne Todd. Thanks for joining me, Joanne, and congrats on being named a hero. Thanks. I'm I'm very honored. It's wonderful to be in the company of so many people I've admired over the years. The CUNA heroes have been really inspiring. Yeah, it's pretty fun to meet a few different people every year, too, and talk to them and see what's going on in their world. So do you want to just start with a brief introduction into yourself? Sure. So... I am president and CEO of the credit union. I started as a teller 42 years ago. We were a little over $5 million in assets then. We're about $115 million in assets right now. And at the time, we were really a teacher's credit union. Um, I had started my career at a very small manufacturing credit union in the town where I grew up. I actually was a high school intern at the manufacturer. And they needed help at the credit union from time to time. And then their manager left. So they hired me to run the credit union. I was 18 years old. I remember I could not sleep at night. I couldn't believe they put a teenager in charge of a credit union. But anyway, I was working really to earn money to go to UConn, University of Connecticut, the center of the basketball universe, to study engineering. And as I was going to school at UConn, I pursued a part-time job with another credit union. We happened to co-locate with our little credit union, co-located with Northeast, the credit union I'm at right now. And I changed my major and I kind of caught the credit union bug. And I've, I've had some opportunities and plans to pursue different careers over the years, but um, the credit union and its real connection to community keeps keeps me coming back. I'm I live about five miles from where I was born, and and we have I come from a community with a lot of needs, and so I think the credit union could do really good things. So that's that's kind of my credit union story and how I got here. Yeah, that's an interesting one, as far as connecting and partnerships. Would you say it's typically you being proactive or just kind of word of mouth that the credit union is passionate about serving and then people come to you or 
how do those things typically come about or is it maybe a big variety? It, it is actually a variety. So I think there's two big ones and, and traditional marketing probably isn't part of that mix, right? Particularly as a small credit union, our word gets kind of drowned out by the larger financial institutions in our communities and in, in the bigger world. So word of mouth and trust of the community. So if we help, and we have helped many people in, say, we'll talk about the Spanish speaking and even undocumented underserved community, they tell their friends and neighbors. It's a relationship when members come into the credit union, particularly in that romantic Hispanic market where everybody knows their name and there's just a constant dialogue about how to best serve them. How do, our, our mission statement is to be our members' best financial friend. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to do. And it looks like you also serve in the community and involved or in a bunch of other things outside the credit union. Is there anything more in your personal life that you're passionate about that you're involved with? Well, I'm going to cover a couple of them. Yes. First of all, I, I've been a board member on the Willamette Food Co-op for years, and um, they're a cooperative like we are. And so principle six, cooperation among cooperatives is at work there. I've been the treasurer for, I think, as long as I've been on the board, which is well over 10 years. And I think it's important for the credit union to, to remember and embrace its cooperative status. And that means member involvement, listening to the members, concern for community, all the cooperative principles, education, and, and we try to cleave to those principles. I would share another one with you. So I happened on a trip to Kenya with a friend in 2004, and it was with a bunch of teachers who were going over there to visit a school. And uh, I didn't actually know uh, only one person on that trip. But when we got back, all of the adults started an organization called American Friends of Kenya. And it's going strong today. And we have sent, oh, I would say half a million books over to Kenya, we, we have partners, about 20 partner organizations that serve communities across the whole country of Kenya, uh, mostly in libraries and schools. We send assistive devices to like wheelchairs, walkers, that sort of thing. There's just a dearth of those in Kenya and in the whole developing world. So, you know, if you ever break your hip and you're given a walker or whatever, Give it to some place that'll send it overseas because yeah. it is needed there. When, you know, when you're on on the mend, and we travel there every year. I mean, the last trip was in July for three weeks. I, I do financial literacy workshops. I mean, there's a whole team of us who go over. So this is a this is a group effort for sure, along with the Kenyans. I mean, we have lots of volunteers in Kenya, which is just a remarkable thing for a country with people with very few resources, and that they volunteer at the level that they do. Really impressive. Anyway, when we were there, we partnered with them. And in my particular area was financial literacy. So I meet with groups and financial literacy, which is just fascinating because financial, how you manage your financial situation, your financial health is so connected to your culture, right? Mm. So 
the basis of financial literacy is wants versus needs. And and we always say, well, you know, you really need to take care of your needs and you need to build a budget that will take care of your needs. And then, you know, then you can think about your wants and needs over here include things like transportation and utilities. And, you know, I, I do a whole, the workshop is really about getting the wisdom in the room is what I call it, right? It's, it's about the group of people you're working with. It's not about me. I don't have the answers to financial health in a developing country, but they've been managing resources, whether it's money or other resources forever. So they, they really have the answers. Anyway, getting back to the wants versus needs, you know, over here in the United States, I do these sessions, talk about where you spend your money on. Transportation and utilities are big expenses, right? And those are needs here over there. And I'm saying, well, what about transportation? You know, you take them a tattoo. Don't you have a budget for that? They say, well, we live in the village. We work in the village. And these are teachers. They're educated. And they say, we walk to work. You know, we don't need transportation. Cross that one off the list. Well, what about utilities? You know, well, when the sun goes down, we go to bed, Joanne. (laughs) When the sun comes up, we know it's time to go to work. Okay. And, you know, it's also an education for someone like me who just runs from organization to organization, meeting to meeting, and and enjoys the American life on the value of slowing down Mm. (laughs) and simplifying things. It's it's really fascinating. Also did this year a data workshop for librarians, which is another kind of wisdom in the room. For every organization, credit unions included, right, we collect all sorts of data and kind of prove our worth and measure how we do, whether it's serving the community or what our ROA is or anything else, um, in numbers. And here we are, we're working with a bunch of grassroots libraries and schools. Some of these folks, they started libraries like in their living room. All they care about is giving out books and, and cultivating a reading culture. So, you know, I'll ask him, you know, what do you think we need to measure and how do we measure it and how do we tell your story? And if you need donors, and they all do, how does is that compelling for a donor? And isn't that very aligned with what we do in advocacy? That's cool, though, that, I mean, obviously finances bleed into every part of life. So it's cool you've been able to find some of those outside things to take it to. You know, I'll go back to connecting to community is getting out and meeting people where they are and getting to know what their needs are. And the conversations aren't un- aren't unlike what I described in Kenya. So for example, I do a financial literacy exercise with that, that Access Community Action Agency. They have an access to employment program and they're basically taking people who haven't been in the workforce before and trying to train them on life skills to get them ready to take on a job. And these jobs aren't going to be well paid. So I, I do a kind of similar exercise with them where I we calculate what they're actually going to be making for take-home pay. And then we look at the percentages that are typically spent on housing on utilities, on transportation, on food, on all the needs, you know? And then I do the calculation, right? So if they 
they're bringing home a couple thousand dollars a month and they can spend 25% on housing, which is, by my remembrance, about what it comes out to. That's like $500 a month. So the question to them is, how are you going to do this on $500 a month? And getting them to explore the answers, you know, which may mean pursuing subsidized housing, getting a roommate, renting a room instead of an apartment, you know, the list just goes on and on of things. And we like to do the same thing here when it comes to members. You know, they come in and we have financial counselors and and frankly, this many of the staff people here have walked in their, their shoes, meaning they come from underserved backgrounds, you know, I, I would say very low wealth backgrounds, some of them. And so they know the ins and outs of things too. When I say the ins and outs, they know where to go for services. They know um, what I call financial hacks, you know. <laughs> and And so meeting our members where they are and actually working with them in that way, finding out where, what their particular needs are, what their particular situation is, and trying to work through what they have to give to that need and then where we can help them. And we hope we can help them. I'm not saying we have the answer to every, and we don't. I mean, there is no way we can, the, the well is really, really deep. We can't have the answer to all of it, but we try. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. Fiserv helps credit unions create a smarter future in an evolving industry. Discover scalable digital solutions to transform the member experience and improve operational efficiency, compliance, and security. Learn more at Fiserv.com.